please stand if you are able the reading from God's holy word. Please read with me the verses in bold. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as if fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to none of them, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're all filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. I on now? Hey, there we go. There we go. Uh, hey, family, it's good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Patrick Thompson, and uh, I am, uh, I'm one of the saints here at Grace. Uh, it's a privilege uh, to be with you guys this morning, a privilege to be preaching from God's Word this morning. Uh, those of you guys who are with us online, it's great to be with you as well. Um, and it's also just a privilege uh, for my family to be here at Grace, it truly has been God's grace to us uh, to be worshiping with you guys. And, uh, and some of you guys might know, those of, uh, of you guys who know my family, that uh, I have three children uh, whom I dearly love. And my youngest uh, just turned four last month. Now, to a four-year-old, right, one month is, is an eternity, right? That's a really, really long time. But I promise you this, my wife and I just barely took down his birthday decorations. Right? We, are, we are just moments removed from celebrating his birthday. And yet, do you know what he's asked me several times over the past couple weeks? When is it my birthday again? Right? Like, when do we get to do this again? Hey, I've done this four thing. I'm ready for five. Right? right? Like, when is that coming? Now, again, I think that this guy might still have dried cake frosting <laughs> behind his ear, but he is ready to celebrate again. And I think that part of the reason why is this. 
He knows that birthdays mean what? Birthdays mean presents. And I can't get mad at him for that, right? Like, I like presents. I enjoy getting gifts. I, I think everybody here, or most of us here, enjoy getting gifts. If you don't like getting gifts, I'm not even sure uh, what to say to that. Uh, it's been said that the best things in life are free, and I think that you could argue, especially from a gospel perspective, that the best things in life are not things that we work for, they're not things that are earned, but they're things that are given. The best things in life are a gift. And also, here's one thing that I love about gift. I love the newness of a gift. In this text that we're taking a look at today, we're taking a look at a gift, and we're taking a look at newness. As Pentecost was the day that God gave the gift of his Holy Spirit and created a new community, the church. Now, just for a little bit of context, we've, we've been in a, a series inside of a series called 10 Words to Live By, where we have been journeying through and examining uh, each of the Ten Commandments. And as Jeff Clay talked about earlier, these were not arbitrary things, right? But, but the Ten Commandments were intended to serve the Israelites and outline how uh, uh, the people of God were to relate to God and to each other. The Ten Commandments were God's grace to his people, showing how life works best and promising blessing to its, its adherents. But also the giving of the Ten Commandments did this. It, it served this purpose. It created a new community. And the occasion for, of this formation was 50 days after the Passover in Exodus, the first Pentecost. See, when we get to Acts chapter 2, we read right there in the first verse, when the day of Pentecost arrived, we, we see that, that, uh, the, that Pentecost was not inaugurated in Acts 2, but that it arrived. Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, a week worth of weeks, right? Seven weeks of seven days, 49 days, was observed every year, 50 days after the Passover, going all the way back to the Exodus. It was on, the, on Pentecost each year. The God's people would look back and they would re remember God giving them the law and they would remember God, uh, uh, Moses going up on the mountain and the people of God hearing the voice of God and, and seeing the voice of God. And on that day, God made them a nation. On that day, God made them a community. That was the first Pentecost. And another thing that the first Pentecost did was that it pointed to a new Pentecost, which we are looking at today in Acts chapter 2, a new Pentecost where God again would descend in fire. But instead of giving his law, he would give the gift of his Holy Spirit and a new community, the church, would be born. And so a couple of questions for us this morning. Or what does this community look like? And what role does the Holy Spirit play in that? 
And three things that we see in this text are an empowered community, a diverse community, and a community that makes much of Jesus. Now again, at the original Pentecost, we are given a scene of God descending on Mount Sinai in, in, in fire and in smoke, and his arrival was accompanied by thunder and lightning. And as a result, the mountain shook. And guess what? The people shook as well. As I imagine myself there on that day, I'm thinking I probably would have been trembling too, right? Right, like fire, smoke, lightning, thunder, a mountain shaking. Anybody who's ever been in an earthquake knows, right? Like, uh, I, I, yeah, I probably would have been shaking as well. But I think that we should ask ourselves the question, why is it that they trembled? What were they seeing? What were they hearing? What were they experiencing? And the answer is this, at least in part, that the people of God were trembling because they had a high view of God's holiness. See, in the fire, God is saying that I am powerful and I'm glorious, that I'm beautiful and I am pure. But also they knew that God was saying this, that I am unapproachable. That I'm unapproachable. See, we need fire, right? We need fire for warmth. We need fire to, to cook our food. But we can't get too close to fire. Imagine if, if you guys are, uh, you're at a camp out, right? And, and, and at uh, nighttime, everybody is cooking s'mores. What do you see? Everybody jockeying to get as close to the fire as they can, right? Like, it's good, right? Like, like we need the fire, but we can't get too close, right? Otherwise, our marshmallow combusts, right? And everybody here who's uh, not a little boy, and they're probably all in the, in the uh, toddler corral, knows that, man, if you touch fire, it's not going to go that well for you, right? Like, we need fire, but we can't touch it. One thing that fire does, fire refines. It, it cleanses impurities. And an impure people knew that they could not touch this fire or they would be consumed. Now, in other Old Testament texts, we are given similar images when God appears, in, including the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. 2 Chronicles 7 says this, fire came down from heaven and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. The priests, the priests could not enter the temple because the temple was filled with the glory of the Lord. At Mount Sinai, the, 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 the Israelites could not touch the mountain or they would die. In fact, they stood at a far distance from the mountain because they could not stand the nearness of God. But then at the new Pentecost, in a scene that would have utterly astounded Moses, God came down again in wind and fire, and yet the people did not just catch a glimpse of his glory. His glory entered them. It entered them. So what this passage is, is telling us is that this morning, if you are in Christ, the holiness of God has not just come near you, it has entered you. 
Before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, Moses met God in a burning bush, and miraculously, the bush, even though it was on fire, was not consumed. This morning, if you are in Christ, you are that bush. If you are in Christ, the powerful, purifying, glorious God has come to you, and yet you, despite your weakness, despite your feebleness, despite your failures have not been consumed because Jesus was consumed in your place. This morning, if you are in Christ, you are that temple that has been filled with the glory of God. This reality would have been staggering to the Israelites. And there's a part of us this morning that also should be bewildered by this reality that should be left staggering by that reality. And we should be asking ourselves, well, what does that mean for, for me? What does that mean for us? There's a lot of implications of that. But, but let me unpack just one. See, when I, when I was a kid, anybody else grow up in the, in the 80s? You might remember this. All right, when I was a kid, I did not have the He-Man and the Thundercat toys that my friends had. I wanted them. I desired them. I sinned. I coveted, <laughs> right? But I didn't get them. Instead, what, what my older sister and I had a lot of was we had a lot of Legos. We had a lot of Legos. We had my dad's erector set from the 60s, right? And I'm sure that those things were great for my development. Right, like it's just not in my Enneagram number to have become an engineer, um, but it was probably, I'm sure, good for my development. Um, but one year, there was one year though, on my birthday, I got, guess what? I got a transformer. I got a transformer. I was excited. Some of you guys are excited. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm still excited about that. This transformer, he had it all. He had a gun that could light up. This transformer, he could move. The whole nine. Only problem is back then it seemed like all the toys came with a certain label on the package. You know what that label is? Batteries not included. <laughs> Batteries not included. All this potential. My transformer couldn't do anything because the batteries were not included. The gospel, however, is a gift that comes with batteries included. The law shows us how life works best, but it has no power to make our lives work. But through the gift of the Holy Spirit, God indwells us with his power to make our lives work. A power that allows me to trust in Jesus and put my faith in Jesus, that allows me to repent a power that changes my desires and empowers me to do what pleases him, namely to love God and to love my neighbor as myself. The spirit awakens us to the reality that, we, that I'm an adopted child of Christ. The spirit enables me to, 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 to grasp, to comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ as Paul talks about in Ephesians 3. Therefore, to have the Spirit is to be growing in my understanding of God's love 
for me. To know God's love for me is to love God. To love God is to love my neighbor as myself. Now, Israel was also called to love God and to love their neighbor. But the problem was for them, as children of Adam, they were too busy loving themselves. Israel, according to Deuteronomy 6, was to write the law on their hearts. But Jeremiah 17.1 tells us that something else was written on their hearts. Jeremiah 17.1 says this, says the, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. The law was to be written on their hearts, but their hearts were engraved with sin now we might be asking ourselves a question well was the law the problem then in romans 7 paul emphatically says no paul says this if it had not been for the law i would not have known sin for i would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness in this passage, what is Paul saying? In this passage, Paul is not absolving himself of responsibility. Paul is not placing the blame on the law. What, what, what then is Paul saying? He's saying this, that sin is such a tyrannical power, exercising dominion over those in Adam, that it could take something good like the law and it could cause it, use it to produce more sin in the life of its subject. But I've got good news for us, family. There is something even more powerful than that. There is something even more powerful than that. And if you are in Christ, that power dwells in you. Do you know this power? Do you know that this power resides in you? See, everybody wants to change. Everybody wants to to change our problem is though that that we think that we can change and we can transform ourselves only to be disappointed time and time again but if you are in christ god's power to change has entered you the presence and holiness of god has not just come near it has come in to you that you may look more and more like him Change, family, is in your DNA. Now just look at the change that we see in the disciples here in this passage. Just 50 days ago, just 50 days before this, these very same disciples were running at the first sight of, of danger. Denying Jesus, facing inward, doing everything that they could to save themselves but a community empowered by the spirit moves in love towards other people that they may be saved so we see an empowered community too we also we see a diverse community now we know that the disciples probably about 120 individuals are there that day but who else is there that day 
Luke tells us that there were people there from every nation under heaven. And in verse 9, we are given this list. I'll read it again. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phadria, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Now, the last time that we are given such a list is when? You guys know when? It's in Genesis 11. You guys remember what happened in Genesis 11? The Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel where, where the whole earth had one language. That's the last time that we're given a list like this. And, and you guys might remember the Tower of Babel. And, and that, that the people came together and, and in their pride they said, hey, we're going to build a great city. We're, we're going to build a, a tower with its top in the heavens so as to do what? To make a great name for ourselves. And so God in his mercy confused their language. And he thwarted their plans. Now can I just point out that if we are running from God and if we are devising plans to make our name great and our plans get thwarted, that is God's mercy to us. And so in Genesis 11, in a bit of irony, God stoops down and he sees their rebellious plan and he graciously administers the curse of Babel. And what we have here is God again coming down, but it is not to administer a curse. It is to heal the curse of Babel. Once again, every nation under heaven is gathered, but instead of descending so that he might confuse their language. God descends to communicate his grace to all the nations in their language. He doesn't divide and scatter. He gathers and restores them to the family of God. And what we have in Acts 2 is not homogenization. What, what we see is that he does not unite them by making them the same. The spirit does not obliterate difference. He brings it in. Which means at least this, that you do not have to leave your culture. You do not have to leave who you are to know God. God speaks your language. God is a missionary God who desires to be known by all nations. And the new, new Pentecost, it echoes passages like Genesis 12, where God tells Abram that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And it points us to passages like Revelation 7, where we see multi-ethnic, multicultural, multilingual fellowship and worship. As Jamar Tisby writes, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God has planned for a racially and ethnically diverse church. This heterogeneity is not a mistake or a backup plan. Diversity is God's plan A for the church. And now this great plan for both unity and diversity is brought to life by the Holy Spirit at the new Pentecost. So what does this mean for us, family? 
It means at least this. That if we are a community that has been made alive by the Spirit, that we will not be a community that runs from or avoids differences, but embraces them. We will be a community that seeks to understand each other, that listens to each other, that seeks to understand each other's stories and each other's hurts, that learns from one another, a community that does not run from but works through conflict and is marked by humility and repentance and forgiveness. And a church that works for unity as an end in itself will find that elusive. But a community, a church that focuses not on making our names great, but on his name great by the power of the Holy Spirit should see glimpses of his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as in heaven. So we see that this new community made alive, brought to life by the Holy Spirit is a diverse community. Lastly, we see that it is a community that makes much of Jesus. So again, all the nations under heaven are gathered there, and what do they hear? Verse 11 says this, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed. At the first Pentecost, the law was given, which in summary is this, love God and love your neighbor. At the new Pentecost, the works of God are declared that Jesus loved God and loved neighbor perfectly in your place and then died in your place. The emphasis of the first Pentecost is on what you must do. The emphasis of the new Pentecost is on what God in Christ has done for you. Now, if an aspect of the Holy Spirit's job is to, to highlight and to magnify and to make much of Jesus, then a community that is brought to life by the Holy Spirit is to be a community that makes much of Jesus. The post-Pentecostal period is, is sometimes referred to as the age of the Spirit. But what we see from, from Peter in his sermon later on in this chapter is that Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit, puts the spotlight on Jesus. We are told in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, that all creation pours forth speech, gives witness to, testifies to, sings about God and his work. I too was made to sing that song. And so to have been brought to life by the Holy Spirit, is to have been rehumanized. To declare the goodness of God is what I was made for. And so this crowd, they, they hear of God's mighty works, and we are told later in the, in the chapter that as a result, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart when they, when they saw that they crucified Jesus. They were cut to the, to the heart when they saw that their sin and their rebellion and their reliance on their works left them hopelessly unable to approach a holy God and put Jesus on the cross. But they were moved to repentance 
when they saw that Christ was not just crucified by them, but that Christ was crucified for them. See, to me, God, to have been filled with his spirit is to be filled with awe. It is to be amazed and perplexed. It is to be moved at the mighty works of God. Have you ever been amazed at the works of God on your behalf? Have you been in awe? Have you been amazed, perplexed? Have you been, has your heart been moved by the fact that he was not just crucified by you, but that he was crucified for you, that, that, that he would sooner be destroyed himself so that you would not have to be destroyed? If that is true, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in me, you can't keep me from talking about what has me in awe. You don't have to be forced to share about the things that are beautiful to you, right? A beautiful sunset, maybe. Uh, or I an incredible meal. Um, or maybe your kids, right? Things that are beautiful to you. What do we do? We, we run to Instagram or, or to Yelp. We're like, hey, everybody's got to know about this. People got to know, right? Um, and those of you whom I follow on Instagram, by the way, you have beautiful children, and I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you posting that and letting me know. If the person and work of Jesus has left me in awe, I will desire to declare his mighty works on man's behalf in both my words and my actions. Family, let me, let me finish with this. This morning, if we are in Christ, this morning, if you are in Christ, you have been changed and you are being changed by an unchanging God. And as a result, and as a result, we are able to give the world around us a high definition trailer of what is to come in the way that we love each other and the way that we serve each other and the way that we forgive one another in, in our generosity, in the way that we pursue reconciliation and in doing so, what do we do? We make much of Jesus. Jesus, the one who did not come in wind and fire, but as a helpless baby destined instead to be consumed by that fire, destroyed by a holy God, that the holiness of God might dwell in you. Family, my prayer for us is that this morning that we would look to him, that we might be filled with awe, that we might too be amazed and perplexed and empowered to live out being the community that he has made us into. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that in your great love, 
God, that you rescued us, that you saved us, that you redeemed us, that you brought us out of slavery. And God, that you made us a people, that you made us a community, that you, by your Holy Spirit, brought us in to a family and that you adopted us again in your great love for us. And I pray that today that you would remind us by your Holy Spirit, remind us of that love that we might love well those around us, that we might love well each other and the world around us, that they might know your love and that you might be glorified. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.